THK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to the middle of the week, Wednesday the 20th of April. The time is 8.03 in Hong Kong and this is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. The International Monetary Fund has cut its global growth forecast to 3.6%, down 0.8 percentage points since the fund's January projections and 1.3 percentage points lower compared with six months ago. In its World Economic Outlook, the IMF said the war in Ukraine will severely set back the global economic recovery and drive up prices for food and fuel. In the United States, the organisation lowered its forecast for growth in 2022 by 0.3 percentage points to 3.7% and raised its inflation forecast from 3.5% to 7.7%. China's economy is forecast to grow 4.4%, down from a prior 4.8% estimate. The People's Bank of China has unveiled a range of support measures for the economy, following Monday's data, which showed China facing increasing economic headwinds this quarter, and the property slowdown on the mainland worsening. The PBOC published 23 measures late on Monday, which include encouraging financial institutions to to support local government infrastructure projects, as well as providing financial services to industries hit by the pandemic. Yesterday, Shanghai reported 20,416 new COVID cases for the previous 24 hours. That's a drop of 8.2% from a day earlier. The city has yet to announce a timetable for ending the citywide lockdown that started on April the 1st. Shanghai's plan to resume production today at factories in some crucial sectors as stalled amid a shortage of staff and parts. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Collier of Orient Capital Research, Martin Henniker from St James's Place with Wealth Management and Will Denyer at Gavacol. And you can join in by texting 6393-5925, emailing moneytalk at rthk.hk. You can post on our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks and government bond yields rose on Tuesday as first quarter earnings season got into full swing. The three major indices all had their best day in a month. The S&P 500 advanced 1.6% to 4,462. Ten of the S&P 500's 11 sectors advanced, with only energy companies, which is the top performing sector this year, declining. The Dow added 500 points, or 1.5%, to 34,911. The Nasdaq gained 2.2% to 13,620. Shares of Netflix have plummeted over 25% in after-hours trading after the company reported a loss of 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter. That's the first time subscriptions have declined in 10 years. Netflix blamed increased competition, password sharing, inflation and the Russian invasion of Ukraine for the stagnant subscriber growth. And the company also said it expects the declines to continue 
forecasting a global paid subscriber loss of 2 million for the second quarter. Netflix had previously told shareholders it expected to add 2.5 million net subscribers during the first quarter. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index fell 0.8%. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 0.2%. Hong Kong stocks tumbled on Tuesday after reopening from the Easter break. The Hang Seng Index declined 490 points, or 2.3% to 21,028. Tech stocks slid yesterday after the news that the National Radio and Television Administration of China had banned the streaming of unauthorised games on public live streams. The Hang Seng Tech Index fell 3.8%, video platforms Bilibili slumped almost 11%, and Guaishou dropped 3%. Chinese property developers also slipped in Hong Kong after the latest data showed the real estate sector weakened further in Q1. The National Bureau of Statistics said the total area of private housing sold in China shrank 13.8% last quarter from a year ago. Times China fell 10%, while Season Group was down over 8%. And shares of China Merchants Bank slumped 11.5% in Hong Kong after the board on Monday voted 15-0 to zero to remove uh, Tian Hu Yu as president and director without giving a reason. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite dropped 0.1% to 3,194. Oil prices tumbled after the IMF slashed its growth outlook. Brent crude oil down this morning. 4.6% at $107.60 a barrel. Gold is off 1.5% at $1,949 an ounce. And US Treasury bonds fell again after St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said he couldn't rule out a 75 basis point interest rate rise at a monetary policy meeting this year. The last increase of that magnitude was back in 1994. The 10-year yield rose 8 basis points, to 2.9%, uh, 2.94%, that it's high, that's its highest level since 2018. And 10-year ten, ten real yields have turned positive for the first time since March 2020. The dollar continued to rise to its highest close since June 2020, and the Japanese yen has fallen against the US dollar for the 13th consecutive day. That's its longest losing streak in at least 50 years. The, the yen tumbled 1.7% to a new 20-year low of 129.3 against the dollar. The euro's at $1.08. One British pound buys $1.30 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 20 cents. The Chinese yuan weakened to its lowest offshore level in six months. It's at 6.42 versus the dollar. And Bitcoin's up 1.4% at 41,500. Around the Asia-Pacific region, stock markets opening there. Down in Australia, up a third of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen 0.6%. The Cosby in South Korea is off 0.4%. And it looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. The time's 8.10. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us Andrew Collier, Managing Director at Orient Capital Research. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, Peter. And also with us Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory and Communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. Morning to you, Martin. 
Good morning, Peter. Happy to be back. Thank you. And also we have with us on the phone Will Denyer, who's the US economist at Gavacal. Morning, Will. Good morning, Peter. Let's start with these IMF downgrades. They've downgraded their global forecast to 3.6%. That's off 0.8%, uh, 0.8 percentage points since January's projection and 1.3 percentage points lower compared with six months ago. And that also compares to growth of 6.1%, which is estimated for 2021. In its World Economic Outlook, the IMF said the war in Ukraine will severely set back the global economic recovery, drive up prices for food and fuel, and it said inflation was now a clear and present danger in many countries, and the situation has added to supply strains from the coronavirus pandemic. A few individual forecasts. Uh, the, the US uh, is forecast to grow uh, at uh, three and a half, sorry, the, the US is forecast uh, to, sorry, let me get these figures right. Inflation in the US, first of all, is forecast at three and a half, uh, 7.7% compared with 7.7% and growth uh, is forecast at 3.7%. In China, uh, the the uh, the IMF is now predicting uh, growth of 4.4%, down from its previous 4.8% estimate. Um, Andrew, do you want to kick off? Lots of talk in this uh, in this latest forecasts about um, inflation. Are we facing um, stagflation? I know the no notion of stagflation comes with quite a lot of heavy baggage, doesn't it, back from the 1970s? But is that the reality? Is stagflation here or on its way? Well, I'll confess I'm not an expert on the global economy. Perhaps Will uh, could comment. Um, I would say that if the lockdowns in China continue for longer than a month or so, then the supply chain impact will be quite severe, and that could affect the uh, prices of goods uh, internationally. From what I understand, within China, the production is uh, continuing partly because they, the companies can force their employees to stay within the enclosed uh, areas. However, the transport uh, situation has gotten very bad, as we've seen in Shanghai, with the trucks having difficulty moving and getting to the ports. Uh, a lot of port activity is down for that reason also. So, uh, But I'm, I, my gut feeling is that China is going to be forced to start opening up to some degree, so I think the impact may be mitigated. These so-called closed-loop operations were, in effect, employees sleep at their factory. They don't leave. Uh, they eat there. They sleep there. They work there. They're tested every day. Um, it's almost worse than being – well, it is worse than being locked down at home, isn't it? Is it sustainable and workable? Well, I mean, it's an authoritarian system with the party control and people whose jobs are – uh, difficult to find. There's huge unemployment in China, so people are forced to uh, accede to this. So yes, they, it is sustainable. Um, Shanghai is kind of a different matter because you've got a very powerful group of uh, people there, and that's uh, quite threatening to Beijing at this point. So um, I think that they may be, but they may be the outlier. There are a lot of districts there that will put up with this. Well, so what do you think? Do you think uh, we're facing stagflation on a, on a global scale? I think it's a, a real risk in Europe um, because they are so much more vulnerable to the energy and agriculture disruptions from Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I don't think it's much of a risk in the U.S. at the moment. Uh, uh, the U.S. has a balanced or slight surplus in trade in energy, agriculture, and it also has the biggest defense sector in the world. So, you know, the 
uh, it's at the very least a lot less vulnerable to the disruptions of the the Ukraine war than Europe. And there's even a case for parts of the uh, U.S. economy actually benefiting from, uh, you know, uh, supply substitution as people look to the U.S. for more LNG, look to the U.S. for defense uh, goods um, and agriculture. So, So not in the U.S., do you, do you think there is a chance that uh, a, a significant chance that the U.S. could fall into recession over the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, next 12, I'd say unlikely. Um, the the U.S. is going into a tightening cycle, uh, but I'd say we're at, at a um, kind of a limbo phase uh, of the cycle, where which is a kind of a dangerous one for for investors or, or a difficult one because it's it's sort of too early to bet aggressively on recession and bear market. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, while the Fed is starting to, to step on the brakes and, and increase interest rates and, and do QT probably starting at its next meeting, uh, financial conditions for now are still pretty accommodative. I mean, we've had we've had a significant rise in yields year to date, but they're still quite low by both mm-hmm. historical standards and versus, you know, the rates of return corporations are are experiencing. And so. I don't think we're we have the recipe for a recession just yet. Um, if the Fed does tighten as aggressively as they are talking about doing, then you know in in 12 months' time, uh, if you have me back on the call, we might be uh, we might be talking about recession. But I think it's too soon now. Okay, Martin. Ev- nearly everywhere in the world was downgraded, with the notable exception of some major oil and other commodities um, producers. It-, it does seem like, doesn't it, the combination of the lockdowns in China, the war in Ukraine, um, is is having a really big effect. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, if I relay it, relate it back a little bit to the IMF, you know, report and what's coming out in terms of data now. So the overriding message here is that the world is becoming a bit of a more dangerous or treacherous place, and I would very much agree with that. You know, for investors, it means, um, as, as I would recommend, you know, avoiding short-term speculation, uh, only invest if one has got a longer-term time horizon, avoid leverage, and be very diversified, not to be overconfident in any one thing. Mm. But more specifically, when I... When I went through the IMF report, two things I just want to highlight that stand out for me, this, this possibly real implications for investors and something concrete I'd like to point out in terms of specific risks I think that are missed. So the IMF on Eurozone inflation is saying here they revised up the previous projection of inflation from October last year where they said this year there would be a 1.7% inflation. Right now they say it's 53 You know, the first thing that just strikes me, how could they possibly have said it's going to be 1.7% <laughs> when producer prices in the Eurozone, even well before Ukraine, you look at January producer prices in the Eurozone, 306 February 31.4, that's the leading indicator. February Eurozone inflation was already 59 again before Ukraine. Now it's 7.6. I think... Um, you know, they might, they, they have definitely been completely wrong on that number and they might get it wrong again and still underestimate long-term inflationary risk that we are uh, seeing. When I look at um, German government bonds, 30-year government bonds, is 1.1% yield. And yet current inflation is 7.6% uh, in Germany. So I think there might still be uh, underestimated risk out there in long-term bonds. And that's one thing I sort of take a bit of an issue with in terms of their projection. One other thing is 
they say that emerging markets are definitely going to be hit harder and, and, and economic prospects are going to be hit harder, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you actually look at the specific growth projections for China, as you just mentioned, Peter, it, it's down, but it's still 4.4%. And the IMF's projection for Eurozone is 2.8, US 3.7. So China actually is still being projected to have a, a higher growth. And when you look at valuations, Mm. They're also considerably lower in China than in the rest of the world. PE, forward PE average is 11.1, MSCI world 17.4. So I think that might also give investors a, possibly a bit of a wrong impression of where you might see the higher risk. risk you know, and In fact, you see a lot of investors not capitulating on emerging markets because of this risk. But it could actually uh, perhaps help uh, to balance risks uh, of, of valuation corrections uh, when held as part of diversified portfolios. Okay, so Andrew and Will, if we are going to see this slower growth and higher inflation, uh, what do governments and central banks do about it, particularly as we hear a lot about it being the type of inflation uh, that central banks find difficult uh, to deal with because it's coming from a supply shock? Does that mean that uh, central banks have got to go and destroy some demand now to bring that down uh, to meet the lower supply? What do you think? Well, in the U.S., I think it's fairly simple. Um, the, the, the U.S. is not facing a severe uh, downturn in growth. I mean, it, it may slow a little bit, but it's, it's not, not recessionary or anything. And so the U.S. Uh, central bank is very clearly in inflation management mode. Uh, I personally think that is always their prime concern. I think when it comes to growth, they can always point the finger at a bunch of different uh, drivers. But when it comes to inflation, that's that's their bag. Um, and I think it's a cop-out to blame everything on the supply shock from, from Russia uh, or or soon from China's uh, lockdown. Uh, you know, we, we can't forget that the uh, Fed did print a little bit of money in the last couple of years. And so, you know, they, they recognize that they – you know, stimulated quite aggressively during the pandemic. And I think they are quite happy with their initial response to that. I think they've been surprised at how quickly inflation rebounded and how strongly. Um, and, and now they've recognized that that's not all transitory. Uh, and so I think the Fed is, is committed to tightening policy um, and getting it back to normal and, and then probably tighter than normal. Uh, the ECB is in a tougher spot um, because, as, as was just mentioned, uh, they are also facing high inflation, uh, but they're also facing a, a bigger uh, growth shock, um, given they're, they're more vulnerable to supply shocks in uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation. So I, I don't know. I mean, and this, this brings up the, the euro-dollar exchange rate, which is a very interesting one. I'm be curious to hear what other people on the call think. Uh, but we're in a situation where everything obviously points to a stronger dollar. But it's so obvious that, that that's very much in the price, and the dollar is now looking pretty expensive versus the euro um, and if at some point the ECB says, you know what, yeah, I know we're having growth concerns, but we've got to get inflation under control, uh, and they start to change their tune, you know, then there is the potential for the euro to to, to have some uh, some upside. So it's a tough it's a tough one right now. Curious what other people think, Andrew. We we have seen a, a response from the People's Bank of China. They've published these twenty three measures late on Monday to try and help uh, support the economy, but they made no mention at all of the fact that they've been quite timid on monetary policy, aren't they? Just a 25 basis point cut in the reserve ratio requirement, no cut at all in the MLF, 
what do you make of these measures and, and why are they being so timid in terms of cutting uh, interest rates? Well, I find it very amusing in some ways because ever since December, the uh, economists have been, or the uh, sell-side investment banking economists have been saying that, uh, of course, the government will come through with massive stimulus in the first quarter or the first months of the year, and that hasn't happened. And now we we come into April in the middle of these lockdowns and uh, global issues, and the PBOC is still being very um, minimal in terms of its intervention. The basic... Uh, point is that they are very committed towards uh, reducing the monetary expansion that they've been experiencing over the past decade, in part because they're really worried about having a, a property bubble uh, pop the way the United States uh, did in the mortgage crisis. That, I think, is firmly imprinted on their minds. So the 23 measures that were announced on Monday, um, I was just looking through them, are all sort of fairly minimal. It's essentially mm. asking the banks to do the majority of the work and to allocate lending to certain sectors. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of the economy, I noticed that they also asked the uh, smaller banks to cut interest rates on savings accounts. So while the, you know, while the consumption is, is declining and rebalancing is, is supposedly something that they want to do away from the industrial sector towards consumers, they, they're, mean, they're slowing down the amount of income that consumers can, can earn from their savings. So um, I, I admire them at a period when Xi Jinping is going shooting for a, another term in office or a permanent term in office to actually uh, be so uh, lackluster in stimulus measures. They just feel that it's absolutely necessary to do that, and they're forcing the banks to try to figure out how to adjust. But the problem is, um, despite them not wanting to pop the property bubble, um, it's certainly deflating pretty fast, isn't it? According to that latest data uh, that we saw from the uh, from the mainland on Monday. Well, there, there, there's a bit of a, a game that they're playing because, in fact, their the most significant expansion in capital and debt is coming from local government companies called LGFVs. So the government is encouraging uh, a bond increase. In fact, in the, the latest data for bond issuance for March, um, overall bonds were up, I think, around 14 percent. But the um, uh, local government bonds were up in the double digits. So they are doing a stimulus, not through monetary expansion to the banks, but through the sale of bonds um, that, that are purchased by the banks. Uh, but it's not lending through the banks. And that it's going to allow the local governments to help to prop up their economies it's a bit of a political solution because LGFEs are not government companies, but they're controlled by the governments. So the governments can claim it isn't their debt, but they can also direct the, the uh, infrastructure expenditure into certain areas. So I'm uh, worried about the LGFEs at this point and local debt. Martin, what do you make of these 23 measures that the PBOC has published? Do you think they'll be effective? Well, I think overall... Um, you know, while the focus of last year has been on, on de-risking, Evergrande bubble popping, basically, tighter regulation, uh, etc., overall, uh, the focus clearly now is on support. And I think, yeah, a, lo a lot of these measures are smaller, but it's sort of the, the intention uh, and, and, and the total picture, I would say, uh, that counts, including, again, the focus on stability and, and while, while that follows through with some of the regulation measures that they had started before, you know, it doesn't seem there are major new ones. And so coupled with the low valuations and the still, you know, uh, growth that is not weaker than other countries, uh, I'm, I'm 
still a believer that uh, some exposure to China as part of the diversified portfolios absolutely makes sense. In terms of GBP, even the lowest projection on China growth I've seen that, that accounts for lockdowns continuing uh, for, for some time um, to um, come was 3.5%. Uh, and that's still not too bad, even compared with some of the uh, major Western economies. That's not to say that there's risk, but again, I think often investors, um, you know, focus on the headline stories on what has happened in the recent past and less on valuations and what might happen in the future. In terms of why China is not cutting more aggressively, I agree with everything that's been said already. Um, but maybe two quick things to add there. Um, you know, for China, it's also quite tricky to cut too much. I mean, firstly, of course, as mentioned, not to cause new bubbles like it, like was the case in 2008. Uh, but also, um, there's an eye to uh, not having too much of a lower interest rate with the 10-year yield now matching basically that of the, the U.S. and then triggering some capital uh, outflows. Plus, there's inflationary pressures building as well. The CPI in China is just 1.5%, but PPI has been coming up and being quite strong as well at 8.3% because the whole world is facing higher commodity prices and they want to be safe on that front um, as well. And the last thing to comment, currency pairs were mentioned earlier and there's big news on the yen, you know, tanking forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my take would be that actually what the yen is seeing now facing this very high debt policymakers being stuck here because you know between rising inflationary pressures and high debt i think that's exactly what we have in the eurozone too and to some extent in the u.s so i'm still fearful that we might see inflation even though in asia it seems a bit lower now but we might see that comes through um everywhere and it's something to be just very very conscious of it's almost like a voluntary tax if you have got massive negative real interest rates for investors. If you're not watching out for that risk carefully. Well, let me ask you quickly um, about James Bullard's comments. He's always been more aggressive than I think anyone else on the FOMC, hasn't he, in calling for interest rate rises. He was saying 50 basis points before anyone else, I think, on the FMC, FOMC yesterday. He was talking about 75 basis points interest rate rises at at least one meeting this uh, this year. What do you make of that? There's, I mean, it's not just Bullard. There's been a concerted effort. I, I think it's been uh, organized, probably, uh, where all of the major policymakers, even Lael Brennard, you know, who's known as the Dove. I think we talked about it last year that I think she gets over uh, her dovishness gets overplayed. She's actually not not all that much different from uh, Powell, in my opinion. Uh, but anyways, even even Brannard, uh, in addition to Brannard, uh, Powell, Powell, in addition to um, Bullard and everyone else, is, is coming out saying, listen, we're serious about getting inflation under control. We're going to do whatever it takes. Uh, and it may take a lot. It may take a, a relatively fast QT, uh, quantitative tightening, uh, or balance sheet contraction. It may take 50, 75 basis point rate hikes. We'll do whatever it takes. And I think the reason you're hearing that is, uh, you can see it in one chart. Go look at 10-year break-even inflation rates, mm-hmm. and they have broken out of the range. Um, so in the last 20 years, they've tended to range from 1.5 to 2.5, which you could call the well-anchored range. Uh, they broke out of that range. Um, they were already testing it um, before the Ukraine war. Uh, Ukraine war hit, and they broke out to the upside. And ever since, you've heard every uh, Fed policymaker coming out and saying, we're going to do whatever it takes because they do not want that to come unanchored. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Great to hear your comments there.
You heard Will Denyer, who's U.S. economist at Gavacol. Martin Henniker, head of Asia Investment Advisory and Communications at St. James's Place Wealth Management. And also Andrew Collier, who is director, managing director at Orient Capital Research. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. In Australia, first of all, the SX200 is up 0.6% in Japan. Uh, the Nikkei 225 has risen one and a quarter percent. Cosby in South Korea still down about 0.4%. Looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng in just under an hour's time. Uh, and the news is coming up next, followed by the COVID updates with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton this morning. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two showers. Sunny intervals during the day, maximum temperature of around 24 degrees. One or two showers in the next couple of days, but it is going to be hot during the day as well. It's 20 degrees right now, 85% relative humidity. Time's just gone 8.31. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The government has launched a registration system to allow people who've recovered from COVID-19 to enter premises that are subject to a vaccine mandate. The Center for Health Protection's controller, Edwin Choi, said recently infected people can download a QR code and use it instead of a vaccine pass for up to six months. He said they'd be considered to have recovered on the date they left hospital or 14 days after testing positive. Dr. Choi was asked whether people would need to get vaccinated before their recovery record expires. Entering premises and getting jabbed to protect yourself are two different things. So I hope people will understand that having the recovery QR code doesn't mean they don't need to think about getting vaccinated in the next half a year. You have to protect yourself. 600 new COVID cases were reported yesterday, down just 13 from Monday. The head of the International Monetary Fund has warned that Russia's offensive in Ukraine is sending shockwaves through the globe, dealing a further setback to countries already struggling to recover from the pandemic. Speaking in Washington ahead of the annual joint meeting with the World Bank, the IMF's managing director, Kristalina Georgieva, said the outlook was highly uncertain. The war may get worse. The sanctions can tighten up. COVID may roam again around the world. And we know that we can have shocks that cause failure of crops. So for policymakers, tough time. The IMF chief said that without urgent coordinated action to bolster food supplies, many countries faced increased hunger, poverty and social unrest. The IMF predicts growth of half a percent for Hong Kong this year, 4.4 percent for the mainland. Ukraine's allies say they will send more military support to help its forces push back a renewed Russian offensive. Following a video call between Western leaders, President Biden said the U.S. would provide extra weapons. The German Chancellor Olaf Scholz promised to give Ukraine money to buy anti-tank and air defense equipment. Finally, the Hollywood actor Johnny Depp has appeared in court in the United States on the fifth day of a defamation case he brought against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. The lawsuit centers on an article she wrote for the Washington Post in which she described herself as a victim of domestic violence. In halting testimony, Mr. Depp said the allegations against him were untrue. Never did I myself reach the point of um, uh, striking Miss Heard in any way, nor have I ever struck uh, um, any woman. Um, in my life. 
Johnny Depp is seeking 50 million U.S. dollars in compensation. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to COVID Update. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is James Ockenden. Good morning, James. Good morning, Tim. Today we'll be looking further at uh, testing procedures for young children with a number of uh, primary schools resuming face-to-face classes yesterday after more than three months of suspension. And in another development, uh, elderly and disabled people who are unvaccinated are now able to book home inoculation services. 